From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Megan Fury. This time, a trans woman reclaims her identity on the highest mountains in the world. I decided that I wanted to climb to the highest point on every continent because I was at a low point and I decided that I would take the exact opposite of whatever I had done my whole life in order to undo <laughs> and find myself. Aaron Parisi always loved to climb. I definitely climbed a lot of trees. There's all these pictures of me at all different ages and sizes, just hanging out in trees. I don't know why climbing trees of all things. I guess there was nothing else to climb in Buffalo, New York. I grew up in a big family. So I think we were outdoorsy just by virtue of not wanting to drive my parents insane. Now, I have four siblings, so we really didn't get too far from home ever. Age spread was pretty wide, so we never really hit that sweet spot where five kids could travel with our parents. Right after I graduated college, I went on like quintessential national parks tour. Uh, my partner at the time and I spent like two months driving around the national parks. And I think that was my, the first time I actually just ever got out of my hometown and away for more than a weekend. It sparked a passion for travel. In her mid-20s, Erin got her first passport and went to Peru. She hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. She says she thinks a lot about that first trip. Because by the time she went, a lot had changed. Erin is transgender. I mean, that first trip, I look back on it, you know, I was, I was young, I was traveling for the first time, not necessarily understanding some of the risks associated with, you know, trusting people or, or not. I had instincts, but I don't, you know, I, I had kind of small town, like suburban instincts, I guess. I mean, I do look back at some of my earlier trips like that and just wonder if I, I know I wouldn't do the trips in the same way again. I think I'd find the same places, but maybe not, yeah, not the same way. Erin continued to travel all over the U.S. and abroad. And the more she traveled, the more she started to hear about the seven summits, the highest peaks on each continent. As a side note, there is some dispute over the seven summits. There isn't a universally agreed upon list. But for the purposes of this episode, we're going to go with the seven that Aaron chose. Mount Kosciuszko in Australia, Mount Elbrus in Europe, Aconcagua in South America, Mount Vinson in Antarctica, Denali in the United States, Kilimanjaro in Africa, and of course, Mount Everest in Asia. In recent years, it's become more and more popular for people to tackle the challenge of climbing all seven, including Aaron. I decided that I wanted to climb to the highest point on every continent because I was at a low point and I very much didn't feel safe traveling. I didn't feel safe in social situations in a lot of places. And I knew that I loved traveling and I decided that if hiding my whole life had gotten me to this low point, I would take the exact opposite of whatever I had done my whole life in order to undo <laughs> and find myself. It began to speak to me as this goal of, you know, I can feel safe traveling again. 
and I can have something to work towards and I can engage my body and my mind and kind of regain my life on my terms and do something that was counterintuitive, which was hiding my whole life. Instead, I was going to stand on the highest point, really spoke to me as, as a way to self-actualize. Erin started her challenge in 2017. By then, she had relocated to Denver, which made training easier due to the high altitude and access to the mountains. Erin decided her first mountain would be the one with the lowest elevation, Mount Kosciuszko. The first one was definitely major exhale because I hadn't traveled in a couple of years. I wasn't venturing out of my neighborhood very much, you know, for a while. After I started transition, I was pretty afraid of even like the grocery store and stuff. There's a lot of positive feedback, but there's a lot of negative feedback too. I did have some negative incidents early on in my transition. Made me feel more comfortable not exploring the world. When I got to the top of Mount Kosciuszko, it was a big exhale. That moment when I was like, all right, I'm pretty far from home. Pretty far outside that comfort zone now. That was a sense of relief that at the worst might have been over and that I had it in me to at least have gotten there and climbed that mountain. It was a big win. One peak down, six to go. And it really spurred her on. Well, I had a lot of success early on. I climbed four of the seven summits in under a year. I think the reliance of climbers on their teams struck me. To me, it was this woman versus nature kind of story where I was going to go out and take on myself, take on the mountain and persevere. And I think when I really got out there and realized how much I was going to rely on others, you know, you constantly see these stats. 30% of people don't support trans people or however they put it. And then you realize when you get out in the field that possibly you're going to attach yourself to a rope with somebody like that. And you're going to count on them with your life. And that's scary. But on the other side of that, I have that many people at least who want to see me succeed. Along with Mount Kosciuszko, Aaron summited Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, Mount Elbrus in Russia, Aconcagua in Argentina, and her favorite so far? Vincent Massif in Antarctica is definitely the summit where I looked so hard to find somebody who had told a story like that before. It, you know, a trans representation in polar exploration. And there just wasn't anything there. You know, when I finished that mountain and came home, I had a lot of DMs and emails from people who saw it and were so proud of the community for having seen that story hit the news and kind of go viral. And to know that I'd made an impact in those lives for those families and those people was really heartwarming. It was also, I think, the moment that I realized in my own life that I had created representation that I didn't have as a kid. 
It just seemed like every story that I ever read about trans people growing up, you know, it was death, destitution, or discrimination. And finally, I, I had created a story that I had craved as a kid for so long, and it was of adventure and, and of living your life. When I look at Antarctica, it was that point when I kind of self-actualized. Didn't matter if I hadn't seen somebody do it before me, like I was going to go out and do it anyway. Erin likes to celebrate in her own special way when she gets to the summit. I usually take out a trans flag. It is that moment when you become so vulnerable, not just to your team, but to everyone that's on the mountain. Bust out that flag and then knowing you've got to get off the mountain, having just displayed that information. At any given mountain that I'm on, there are people from countries where being trans or gay is punishable by death. It's a realization, but I think when you get to the top of the mountain, there's this adrenaline rush and you're going through kind of what it means. And at that point, the pride is always kind of one, you know, how proud I am that I've made it to the top and I'm representing the community and just feel like I can't hold it in. And I just bust out the flag and show it off. Then I usually get down and say goodbye to my team and kind of disappear. Erin was on a roll. She only had two peaks left, and she wanted to finish with the biggest of them all, Mount Everest, which meant Denali was next. I have never climbed it, and I will never conquer it. <laughs> it'll, it'll outlive me. First time I was out there, uh, we got nailed with some pretty bad weather, and I got a pretty nasty hand injury. So we had some pretty tough luck. Last year, I got COVID on the day we were going to advance to 14,000. So I was lucky I didn't get helicopter evacuated with COVID. A lot of people were getting pulled off in helicopters. I was able to pull myself off the mountain, but can't climb higher with COVID. And then this year, got struck with weather again. You really get a very narrow window, and you're really trying to just get yourself in and then wait for a weather window. You know, I've been training for it for three years. And then you realize your, your weather window is not going to open up. I spoke to Erin in 2023, so her third attempt was actually last year. Denali is Erin's white whale. It's a temperamental mountain with a very short climbing window. It starts in like late April and ends by the 4th of July. Probably 95% of summits are happening in that little window. And it's because before that, it's just so nasty of weather. And then after that, the snow for the season kind of melts off and you get into this major crevasse risk. In between there, it's snowstorms that can last, you know, a week or more. The mountain just throws so many things at you from so many different directions. If it's not too cold, it's too hot. You know, if it's not too cold or too hot, it's too windy. There can be so many things that stop your chance to keep moving. The crazy thing about Denali is, until you get to like 13 or right below 14,000 camp, you can't touch something that's not ice or snow. Really no animals. They got these giant crows and they get up to like 17,000 feet and they literally will dig out your pack from under the snowpack. You don't cash at four feet or six feet under the snow. They will dig your food out and eat it. There's nothing up there except snow and ice, and somehow these crows get up there and get into your cache. 
Some actually consider Denali the most difficult of all the seven summits. There's no weight around it. Denali is a very physical mountain. It takes a lot of effort to carry that much weight up there. There's no shortcuts. It's you and the mountain. There's no cell phone reception. You know, the National Park Service might bury some caches and some emergency supplies out there, but there's really not any sort of hut. There's still no permanent structures on it. You really do it on your own. And I've got a lot of respect for Denali. Erin says she wants to take some time off from climbing. I don't think 2024 will be my year. I've already kind of decided that given, you know, I've been on that mountain for over 50 days in the last three years, I'm going to take a break. I asked Erin how she feels about her goal now. I wanted to be done pretty quickly. I, you know, I wanted to put my story down, but ultimately I don't like the visibility of it. So I, I figured I'd be done by now. I think the number was really important to me when I first started. And as time went on, I began to value the experience more. The friends that I made, the things that I learned, the confidence that I gained, the window to the world that I had kind of taken back. I wouldn't say I would be okay with five. I think it'll always bug me if I don't go out and get all seven. As far as she knows, Erin would be the first trans person to complete the seven summits. And her story has put her in the spotlight. She's been interviewed by countless news organizations and magazines, including National Geographic. It's a two-edged sword. I get a lot of negative messages, first off. It is nice when somebody sends you something nice. I don't see myself as a role model. I'm just doing what I thought I couldn't do and proving myself wrong. Like I thought I had lost this thing and now I'm gaining it back. The thing with the visibility is that we need the representation and people who are willing to be visible. You know, you have a certain shelf life of your visibility, it seems like, as a trans person a lot of the time. Trans people just want to go out and be themselves and do their thing and blend in. They're not trying to be the example that everybody knows and sees, you know, answers the questions and all those things. We just want to live our lives and do the things we love. People that are having some success fighting this battle against trans people are able to do that because most people don't know a trans person. These human stories of actual trans people are are the best thing that we have to kind of fight back against the efforts to dehumanize us. I think that creates this pressure, though, on people as minorities and, and, you know, vulnerable populations that we both have to be visible in order to humanize ourselves, but nobody should ever have to feel visible or vulnerable in order to feel humanized. That's the quandary, I think. It is a very small piece of who you are. It's also the air that you breathe. There's so 
much life to be lived as yourself. There's no reason to live it as someone else. Um, I finally took a step towards my own happiness and put other people's expectations behind me and found that I was right all along. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Everyone has a lot of doubt. If we're waiting for 100% certainty to do anything, we're never going to do anything. But I think taking the step to transition was probably the one thing I had the biggest doubt about in my life. And it has led to the most happiness. And I understand for some reason it's made me controversial. Take some abuse from certain people in society, but God, I found true friends and happiness pursuing who I knew I was all along.